0: Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Today, I welcome Eddie Elner. He opened Yoga Soup in Santa Barbara in 2001 and has taught yoga there ever since.
1: My name is Eddie Elner. Your podcast is about uh, decoding the human condition And, and I'm an expert because I've been trying to decode mine for 62 years.
0: So when did this journey for you begin? Was there a time in childhood or was it later on in adulthood where you started to <clears throat> experiment with this idea of spirituality and sense of self and what all this means for you?
1: Well, you know, it, it, it's always reverse engineering. Like you, you always realize what you were going through after you went through it and what its significance was and events that seemed noteworthy actually weren't that important, although at the time they seemed to be, and events that you had overlooked, all of a sudden appear like, oh my god, that was it, that was the the, the moment. and And the biography keeps getting written and rewritten, you know. So for me, the way I'm used to telling that story is that I was living like a little New York City life. I'm from New York, and I struggled to put the New York City life together and somehow I had arrived to a what most people would call a good job with good prospects. And the work I was doing wasn't very uh, fulfilling, but I had lots of friends and had a, a, I was with a a woman who I was in love with and then in rapid succession i was raised by my grandparents my my grandmother died my grandmother got sick and with cancer and saw her through her illness and she died uh the girl and i broke up um the job i had i quit and all of a sudden i felt just and, and these things all happened seemingly voluntarily. I mean, not my grandmother dying, but it's like, it seems somehow I was making these choices. But the result of making these choices annihilated me. But I didn't have a spiritual background to put it in context. It just seemed like life is falling apart. And then, as often happens, you know, God, the universe, you know, karma like I stepped into a yoga class that was happening at the gym that I used to go to. Physically I had constructed a body that was so thick, meaning traditionally kind of young man thick with big arms and big shoulders and you know I played all the sports and was very active and and when you took that body into a yoga class it was basically useless. <laughs> It, it was it was rendered non-functional immediately. So something that I had been, not secretly, but I wasn't aware of the kind of pride I had, but really it wasn't so much pride as fear. I would built this um, edifice to keep the world out. And I'm using language that's familiar to me now. Back then, that was not my understanding. It was just confusion and if someone said, Lift your arm, and I could barely get my arm, you know, over my head, or, you know, the, the, the cliche touch your toes, are you kidding me? And after the first class, I just didn't even think about it. I just kept going. And of course, often the classes interfered with what had become my normal life, whether it was going out with friends, or. And I found that I was making excuses to not do the things I was used to doing. But I couldn't admit to anyone what I was doing. It was like I was having an affair with yoga.
0: In a way, do you feel grateful for that sort of rock bottom you had to hit to reach that point to even step into a yoga class? I know that that sometimes is like a double-edged sword of like, it was like you were losing everything, but it also was like a new beginning in a way.
1: It would be nice to think that was how it was, but, Mm In actuality, whatever lifeline I was holding on to was slipping through my hands and it did not seem like this is to my benefit. The rock bottom is, for me, was understanding what I had to go through just to get to the table of life. Like, and this is, and this is all childhood stuff. This is, you know, there's a component which I'm sure you're familiar with called spiritual bypassing, mm-hmm. where rather than investigate the material of your life, you'll go straight to the enlightenment. You know, you'll just try to transport yourself to the top of the mountain with all the spiritual associations and aphorisms and feel like you've made it when actually you haven't even begun the journey. That's when what you said really starts to make sense. Like, oh, I see this is a gift.
0: And so how would you explain this idea of enlightenment?
1: By all the indicators, <clears throat> I'm clearly not enlightened. <laughs> so, so I can only speak, you know, of it from that perspective. But it, it seems that you're not so easily offended by, by the world you inhabit. Um, therefore, and you're not so af- afraid of the world you inhabit. So therefore you're not building up defenses against it. And you're not telling stories that you realize are, are designed to, to keep the world at bay. You're willing to investigate your own reaction and see that it, it's not based on reality. And then just the willingness to look at it opens up something. That had that had always been there, you know. No, when people say that, you're getting in touch with something that's already there, and I say that all the time in class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What it, well it means for me as a yoga teacher who, who deals with body parts that if I if someone says relax your tongue, okay, and you actually do it, so that means in your mind you go to where you're t- you're used to having your tongue, mm-hmm. and then you somehow say, okay, relax, tongue. And in the relaxing of the tongue, your jaw loses its clench. And when your jaw loses its clench, your throat untightens, And you may notice that your breathing changes. And these are very simple things, right? This is all happening inside, and all that was needed for it to happen was you to get interested in it. Because if you think of the things you are interested in, you know, if you're interested in your appearance, there's no amount of work you're not willing to do to enhance your appearance. Not many people think about the inner appearance of like, well, how's my liver? Mm-hmm. Or how's my heart? You know, the, You know, and so when you bring your attention to these places, and you realize that, oh, there is a certain clenching going, on even if it's just to present yourself a certain way, when you you realize that's taking place, and then you say, stop. Like, you're issuing the command to all these body parts. You don't have to be on high alert. You don't, whatever assemblage of body parts your mind has put together, so you'd be more attractive, or you'd be, um, you wouldn't be excommunicated. When you stop doing that, you're left with a feeling of space. Like, oh, wow. Like, visibly, nothing really has changed, but your experience of your own body and, you know, life has this potentially profound shift. You could say that your tongue is now enlightened, if it's not holding on for dear life. You could say your your small intestine you, and if you go through the body this way, you may notice conversations flow easier because you're not consumed by anxiety about what you're saying or, or how you're perceived. I don't need to affirm an identity that I now realize I keep making up as I go along. Mm. Now, at the same point, Ramdas, for instance, says before you become a nobody, you have to become a somebody. We're all wearing the costume of identity. It's just how we're wearing it. And the the way to realize how we're wearing it is when someone pokes a hole in it, you know, and how offended do you become?
0: And so even after all this time of you practicing and teaching, you don't feel like you've come to that point in your own journey?
1: I'm much different than I was last week. And I'm way much different than I was 30 years ago. If I were to run into myself, the 30-year-old the, the version of myself, and we sat down at the bar to have a conversation, I would have such compassion for this young man.
0: Do you think at that time you had compassion for yourself? Definitely not. You were at that time. Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely not. And that's what I see. You know, I see most of us don't. In fact, I, this happened last week in, in class. I started teaching a Tuesday night class, which I haven't I haven't taught a night class in a long time, like 10, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I just forgot about it. Like, I was I had some stuff come up for me, and I totally forgot about the class. And I get a call from Luca. Where are you? Like, what's going on? And it dawns on me that, oh my God, this is my worst nightmare. 28 years of teaching, I've never done this. Wow. Like, no matter what's going on in my life, I've always showed yeah. up. I, in fact, I feel like that's that's actually my only skill, that <laughs> no matter what's going on, I will show up. And it's, and it's actually been a powerful skill to have. And I felt consumed by, oh my God, what kind of person are you, you wretched? how could you do this, you know? 20 people waiting in class and here I am. And, and the next day, a woman came up to me and said, I was in your class last night, and I start to apologize. She says, no, no, you don't understand. It was, after a few minutes, someone said, maybe someone could lead the class until he gets here. And one by one, everyone in class took a turn teaching a pose. Oh, wow. And at the end, and this woman said, you know, I wasn't even going to come to class. I've been so depressed for a couple of weeks. I couldn't even get out of bed. Mm-hmm. But I made it. And as this class unfolded, all the heaviness I was feeling lifted.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was
1: the best yoga class I ever took. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and that's been echoed. like uh, Since then, almost everyone in class has, has reached out to me and said the same thing. Mm-hmm. So when you asked me, after all this time, well after all this time incidents like that happen so and and in the moment I may tighten up around them but even in the tightening up I realize that this is a temporary condition Mm -hmm. that this is I'm not immune to feelings feelings come and go but I think the enlightened part of it is letting them come and go whereas if, if a feeling is strong and if it taps into an earlier feeling or you know an earlier wound in your life it would have the capacity to really rivet you you know and then you feel that's where you start to disassociate or you get depressed or paralyzed whereas okay this is what embarrassment feels like this is what confusion feels like this is what joy feels like like Mm -hmm. you just Except the fact that there's always an oscillation between pain and pleasure and and liking and not liking and You know the the big-ticket religions, uh, I think of Buddhism mostly Basically, all they do is remind you that these These are fluctuating conditions and not to cling to them and not to create an identity around them so when you look at the culture and you see a culture that is established to maximize pleasure or enhance you know enhance a sense of self inflate a sense of self that doesn't take into consideration the natural polarity between pleasure and pain and gain and loss and then of course people are batshit crazy Mm-hmm. You know, on edge because they, they you start to believe that you should be able to get it right. You should be able to, not only to get it right, but to keep it there mm-hmm. and to maintain it. And if you just worked a little harder, or if you just sorted out through things a little bit better, or, or hacked the system a little bit differently, then you could live on this endless ride of you know, it's like it's like heaven. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, That hasn't been my experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think it's funny when we get triggered by certain experiences that open old wounds and then we dig deeper into those wounds with our own thoughts and then we put all these meanings onto it and, oh, I'm such a bad person, how could I do this? And it's like we continue this cycle when we could meet it with compassion and Mm -hmm. then that wound over time will begin to heal itself, which is something I think we always... Overlook how strong that is.
1: You said that much better than
0: I did. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, something I've been grappling with myself. It was just funny how you said you've never missed a class because I have, in the beginning, my first year of teaching, I would dream every night before I'm not going to wake up. Like, I would have a dream Mm -hmm. that my alarm went off and I was late and it never happened. And Mm -hmm. it was like I was, my mind wanted to torture itself with something that wasn't even even occurring. (laughs) Right, just the
1: trepidation. It's not even... It's that, and what would the consequences be mm-hmm. if I did that? You know? Well, I mean, how I would, not just would I get fired, but like I would be. And, and the, beautiful, the beauty of that, at least what happened to me last week, is I got to see how attached I was to that identity that, oh, I'm this guy who doesn't do this. Well, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not anymore. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, it's hard to I, the ego. I feel like is really looking to define itself. So whether it's a really bad thing that happened that day or a really amazing thing, it's going to use that as fuel to say, mm-hmm. oh, now this is who I am. And I either am really upset about it or it's amazing and I'm the best person. And it's like always in these extremes. It's really hard to find that centered middle where you can allow these things to to flow through.
1: Because the ego doesn't care about <clears throat> good or bad. Mm-hmm. Like, it just wants, it, it needs to be. So, either one will work to right. reinforce
0: that sense of self. I'm the best or I'm the worst. Yeah. Like, And how for you, have you reconnected to the self beneath the ego? Is there something that has helped you come to that space in times where you feel the ego is being very loud? I had a certain understanding of, obviously,
1: we all have an understanding of how we grew up. You grew up with your parents, parents were together or they separated, you have siblings, this happened, that happened and then and then at some point the fabric of that story starts to fray. Right? Like something will challenge it. You know, our childish understanding of how we evolve well, it will be exposed to other people, or will be exposed to habits that we developed in childhood that are no longer working as we as we move through the world. And so, when that happened at you know at thirty, and I started this this particular journey, how how painful it is to realize what you had to tolerate just in order to survive. If that was your story. And so, um, and then once you realize it, to not get lost in it as, well, this is who I am. What I've been through is who I am. That's, mm-hmm. I, I saw myself make that. It's not a mistake, but just get lost in that place for so long. And the benefit of Yoga Soup, this is this studio, is that it forced me, whereas some people make it, you know, married or have a family, you know, something forces you to confront your limitations, the limitations of your beliefs. And that's what this studio did, you know, because it involves interdependence, it involves other people, it involves um, almost relentless failure in trying to get something going, and then, oh my God, and didn't work out and just don't go into despair just get up and keep working, keep showing up, keep showing up and the result is, well you see the result, right? This, And it's not that this is a special place, this is a place that that is the product of being open to what I didn't know and also being uh, willing to change when what I was doing clearly didn't work. There's one story I've, I've told a million times, but I think it, it's certainly still significant for me, is that, say I think it was 10 years ago or 12 years ago, which means Yoga Soup had its place, like, it, it had established itself in the community, mm-hmm. and I do a benefit class on Thanksgiving and Christmas for Transition House, and it's a great, it's kind of a good back day, you know, like, there's 100 people in class, or 80 people in class, and we raise a bunch of money, and it's a feel-good kind of thing, and um, two things happened. The first time I did it on Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving class I did, afterwards, a woman came in and looked around and said, "This place is so beautiful. Like, wow, it's so beautiful." And I said, "That's great. You know, take a seat. Like, you know, get you some tea." And she sits down and then pees all over the chair and all over the floor because mm-hmm. she's some. I didn't recognize it at the time. She's homeless, obviously a little mentally unstable, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking how proud I felt that we're doing this fundraiser for a place that takes people off the streets and puts them in temporary housing, I had imagined in my hubris that that's what we do, Yoga Soup, but we don't deal with the homeless population. We just deal with people who feel homeless even if they ha- even if they're living in, in a mansion mm-hmm. inside there and so this is a this is sort of a halfway house for people to understand to get a, a grip or a better understanding of who they are but I also realized I'm in way over my head here like this is um, my skill sets are going to have to grow exponentially for me to meet the challenge of what I imagine this place can be and then later on on a Chris during a Christmas class where there were 90 people, And the whole class, all I felt was like a fraud. Like I thought every word out of my mouth was hypocritical, that I'm not living a life that's in sync with what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm sure that everybody sees through me. And of course that wasn't the case. Everyone had a great time. But one person who came up to me and and said, uh, invited me actually, um, he says, I think you should come to my house in a couple weeks to do, um, to do ceremony. <laughs> and I, I knew what he was talking about. It's you know it's plant medicine, ayahuasca ceremony. I'd been asked to do it, you know, almost every day for for years. And but instead of saying no, <clears throat> I said yes. And that's another dimension of the journey, because that opened up. Uh, avenues internally, and and gave me some information about how I grew up that I don't know if I ever would have obtained through but any other means, and so that's more information about wow, like being exposed to something that was always inside but you never knew about, like mm-hmm. the most, and then once you know it. Um, it makes sense of how your life has been put together. And if if that happened to me, then I have to assume I'm not, I'm just another human being among nine billion. Everyone is in some way similarly handicapped, meaning they're just not aware of something. And if it's physically, maybe they're not aware that they always carry their purse or their backpack on their left shoulder, and so they have chronic right hip pain. Everyone is trying to hack themselves, and what is gonna be the most effective hack? Is there a way of observing yourself that cuts to the chase? That's part of what, you know, that's the context of this place. See, part of my upbringing was my formative years as a young man was as a cabana boy. Because what I like mostly is to put food out and then sit around and eat and talk and sometimes you need to pray and sometimes you need to sing or dance or laugh or cry or these are the kind of the basic human responses to life. And if you create an environment in which all these things can take place without forcing people you know without demanding that it's now time to do this, this, and this, but you just put it out, and my responsibility and our responsibility is to curate a place like that. You know, keep it clean, wipe off the crumbs, make sure the carrots are, you know, are fresh. In in a way, that's the depth of this offering. You know, when I think in terms of my life, about any kind of grandiose, visions i've had for it or or hopes or fears of accomplishment it's like the thing that makes me really happy is going out and getting coffee and bringing it back for people and this is this is gonna this is unique to me it's not everyone's gig but it's important to know kind of what your gig is you know otherwise you may be trying to satisfy your parents or satisfy your your culture or you know to you know, so it is important to, to be comfortable with, with your offering.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and then I think out of that comfort comes the growth and sincerity because, and, and sort of a natural devotion.
0: So you never really had this vision necessarily that Yoga Soup would turn into what it is today, but is this something that you felt you wanted? I mean, how did this come to you? I
1: always wanted to be a writer. You know, I thought that that was what I was going to do. And when when I quit those jobs, I spent five years actually writing. That's a whole other story, Mm -hmm. you know, writing scripts and going through that whole life and lifestyle. Um, And simultaneously, I was going to yoga, you know, and I think, and I've noticed over the years, a lot of people, you know, the yoga ranks are full of kind of aspiring slash failed actors, Mm -hmm. writers, you know, performers of some kind, because it takes a certain kind of desire to be seen and and a desire to express yourself that's required of a yoga teacher. Egoically, you wanted it to be on a big stage, you know, you wanted your your work, but really yourself to be validated. And, and I think every one of those um, hybrid people, those performing artists slash yoga teachers, reach a point where they realize, well, this is actually the most creative expression. Teaching a yoga class turned out to be the, the, the best creative outlet for me. You know, I still write, I still do things here and there, but Yeah, I feel like every class is like writing a a little vignette, like a small, like there's a beginning and a middle and an end. It's supported by a soundtrack or silence and the music has a certain intelligence to it that wants to support the message. Um, The movements grow in depth because I understand more about how bodies are put together. Um, You want to both enthrall and entertain and captivate but you don't want it to be about me I mean the first 10 years it was only about me you know I needed an adoring mob of people to like say oh isn't he isn't that guy good you been to his class I didn't know that's what was happening but now looking back because of the way I grew up without any kind of confirmation or validation or positive reflection. Of course, everybody needs that. But then once I understood how, um, not not empty, but how limiting that was, and then your own sense of expansion becomes based, you, you don't need it anymore. And instead you want to turn it on the, everybody who is in the room, how do you do that? How do you then turn your personal story so it's it, it's actually not about you, it's all about the people there that they can see into their own selves based on, based on whatever it is you're doing.
0: What do you feel like your values are as the owner here? I feel like a lot of it is focused on giving and, and community oriented, like by Providing the carrots and sweet potatoes and the tea and you know, what is that? How does that create the energy that happens in yoga soup?
1: You asked me um, If this was always my dream, you know, and Mm -hmm. It's become my dream. I mean the first five years it was through donation I just had a donation box and it was easy people throw money in and then once I graduated to a place that requires a lot of other people to, to operate, um, I think that's been my journey, is how to, kind of, how to be in community with other people and attract people who are inspired to, to, not, to, to for their own growth and self-discovery, use this place as their sadhana you know sadhana is that that kind of devotional path so from being up at night trying to figure out how to clean the place i can't afford to hire cleaners all of a sudden we have you know heather here who's assembled a cleaning crew this place is open 15 hours a day every day of the year and it's a swarm of cleaners coming in for two hour shifts and the same with the putting together the food or you know like so many people make their own little products that we you know i mean it, it's not any it's not like we reinvented the wheel or we just you know we created the iphone or something it's not it's just very simple ordinary things but everyone is in it you know no one here is under like dress. And there's something about that. Um, and it's not like um, we're able to pay people, you know, $200,000 a year. It's just like, oh, for the time that everyone is here, this is a good way to live. I think of the kinds of relationships that have been established over simply the, the cadence of life, like going to the farmer's market every week, you know. Trading with oat bakery. Um, discovering the sweet potatoes. Um, having the, the responsibility, the joy of the responsibility of making them every week. Like, yeah, there are times when I don't want to do any of this. You know, it's been the same way any parent is like just up to their ears and like, I can't do it anymore. Or anybody will But you just keep doing it and you discover something that astonishes you. You, 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 you discover sort of the, the, the joy of work, the joy of living, or they're inseparable. So I don't know if I had, had a vision, you know, I don't mm-hmm. consider myself, I'm not a visionary, mm-hmm. you know, but I just do have a sense of for myself what makes sense and what doesn't. And I guess in the end, as in everything, the proof is in the pudding. It's like, if you come in here, and you a, a lot of times people come in here and they don't know what it is. You're like, what are, what are you, you know, and that's good. Like, to not know what something is means you actually have to look and see and, and come to your own conclusions. If someone is telling you what it is all the time, then you are just sort of absorb what they think it is. So when people come in here, which is often, I say, what is this place? Are you guys a restaurant, or you know, like a yoga studio, a bookstore, or like what? I don't know. And I just like hang out, and, and you can kind of turn it into whatever you, you need it to be. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah.
0: And I'm sure this wasn't like happening overnight you know this obviously took a long time to attract all of these people that are now a part of this community Mm -hmm. Um, and I guess something I always try to live by is like when you feel like you're doing something very authentically and because it's in alignment it'll ultimately I don't want to use succeed as a word but it'll ultimately become kind of its own thing is that kind of what you saw happen through the journey of starting yoga soup I'm sure there were times of Mm -hmm. like doubt and is this working? And you know, but it, you overcame that and decided to still see through. I
1: would have stayed teaching by donation maybe forever. I, I, mm. It was such a good gig for someone like me. Donation box. By then I had figured out, hey, you know, you could bring strawberries to class. Meaning I mean, was renting space, so I didn't have massive overhead, mm-hmm. and I'd bring a flat of strawberries. After, and someone then started to bake. I said, "Can can I trade you? I'll bake." Hell yeah, you know, and so, but then at the end of class, everything would get packed up because the Flamingo dancing class is coming in. You know, it's like, it's not my responsibility. And I, I don't even remember how much money I was making, but to me, I was making a fortune. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I have 50, 60 people in class. I don't care if they put in $3, some people put in $8, some people put in $20. All I know is at the end of the week, I had enough money to live and to save some money, which I'd never been able to do before. And then the landlords closed it down, or they they wanted to give it to a nail salon Mm. because they would pay more, they'd be able to pay more rent. And I had to go and find this space. Now, I had saved, let's say, $70,000, which was like seventy million dollars for me. And I found this space and within I don't know fifteen minutes I had spent seventy thousand dollars.
0: Wow.
1: I didn't know about contracting. Like I can mm-hmm. I can hang a picture, maybe, you know, change a light bulb,
0: mm-hmm. maybe.
1: And all of a sudden, wait, where do you want to put the you know and where, what kind of drywall do you want and like where do we like these questions that I I never I didn't have an answer for mm-hmm. and the guy who started Organic Soup Kitchen you know the soup that we serve here who I'd known from town he, I run into him one day and he says I hear you opening up a yoga studio if you ever need any help let me know. I, you know I've done some building in my day so I call him up and it turns out he just hadn't done some building. He'd actually built houses from scratch. And he's a master wow. carpenter. And you see the front desk we have,
0: and the tea bar
1: we have, and the staircase we have. This guy Anthony, he built it. Wow. And he coordinated the painters. And he coordinated... And it wouldn't happen without him. No yoga soup without uh, Anthony Caraccio. And his son Tony. And while we're building it out, a woman who used to come to my class um, who had been through some hard times with an abusive boyfriend and who I had somehow, I don't even know what I did, I just helped her out somehow, getting her something, you know, she comes over to me, hands me an envelope, and there's $400 in it. And she says, you know, people who you don't know are really interested in this working out. And the $400, you know, I bought a few cans of paint with it, but the, 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 that message, I, mean, I still talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. that's how important it was. And, and that's how this place got built. Like, my money lasted 15 seconds. It, I went into so much debt and took out loans, but also, over the years, this community made this place happen. You know, I'd go, I mean, I still used to teach my, even when I started here, my classes were still by donation. People who understood what I was trying to do, there'd be a check in the donation box for $5,000. It couldn't happen without that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, all the way through the pandemic, how are we going to survive a pandemic?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, th- this is not a big money-making place. But before the pandemic, finally, after like 14 years, we were doing well, like, you know, relative to, um, I don't even know what that means, but like we were making money and, and then boom, total shutdown.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: like, and everyone stepped up, you know, we must have raised like 35, $40,000 to get us through when we needed it. Um, so my vision was, when I first moved to Santa Barbara, to be able to walk through the farmer's market and, and say, hey, Joe, you know, hey, Sally, and like, and the Eddie, you know, like, like, a, like the, the fantasy of a small town, like where, you know. Um, and I realized that that's that's what ended up happening. The other thing, you know, the the definition of teacher is someone who, who carries on their education in public. And for me, I've been here, you know, for 25 years, 27 years. I have had my education carried out in public, meaning the personal dramas and stories and all that stuff takes place, like, I show up and I never thought I'd be able to do that. And so to me, that's the victory. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not pretending to be anybody or having arrived any place, but I'm still here. This place, the design of it will always change. This place has ch- had so many different configurations of, you know, furniture. But its intention has always been the same like how do you create an environment where self-reflection and potential growth and change with a sense of humor you know and and a sense of hospitality is is in the forefront before profit i've lived on such a razor's edge with this place where you know there are three thousand dollars in the bank we have a payroll of $42,000 due with rent and blah, blah, blah. It's like, how the hell are we going to do this? And so I call up Suzanne. I say, can you not cash your check for eight days? And, or, Jenny, and do you mind if you just hold up? Like, that's how this place survived. And now things have, you know, not good, returned almost to the way they were prior to the pandemic and it feels good to pay teachers as much as we can. You know, it feels good that the people behind the <clears throat> the desk, you know, no one's getting people make whatever it is, twenty four dollars an hour to like like we pay as much as we can for the mm-hmm. people who are here. And um Yeah, there's something satisfying about that. It makes me much happier to to take whatever money comes in and distribute it to the people responsible for keeping the place alive. It, it actually mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense because there are a lot of people here who, who work way harder than I do. You know, I have to, yeah, I'm responsible for it and I'm the one who has to pay for it, but in the actual execution of work, no, they, you know, they should make more money than I do.
0: Yeah, I think it's just um, such a hard balance to stay true to some of the Eastern philosophy and the ideas that were originally held for yoga, but also create a business in a Western society Like to, to balance those two things. Um, you know, it must be...
1: Yeah, I think the nature of the, the West, obviously, is to exploit yeah. You know, I mean, if you mm-hmm. just it, to generalize, I mean, the West colonized, and you know, you could see, you know, you can, in some way, um, feels the right to be able to do things like that. So, mm-hmm. if if profit and um, is the driving force, or if identity is the driving force, and therefore that, you know, it's like the ideology of a cancer cell is expansion. So, you know, if you use core power as an example, yeah, how many more outposts can we build because it's run by venture capitalists Mm -hmm. that have a bottom line to their investors? That's a lot different than the way this place is run. Mm -hmm. You know, so, again, I don't know which is better or worse, and there's good that comes out of the most unlikely places. Um, the same way, there's bad that comes out of the most unlikely places, you know. And you know, the great philosophies, you know, like Stoicism or you know, or Buddhism, you know, they just—it seems like they come from someone sitting down for a while and saying, "I'm not going anywhere until I sort this thing out." And because none of us really today. Ever sit down for a while? You know, we're always busy, we're always kind of future oriented, wanting to get to the next place, and everything we do now is done, hoping it will lead to something. Like, to just sit down and, like, God damn it, what? Am I actually engineering my own suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, is my desire to get this thing up and running? So to build into the, into the place, some room for solitude or quiet, you know. Um, yeah, that seems to be the biggest challenge for most people I know. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's what's so powerful about something like a yoga class. It's like you gather in community and realize you're not alone in your suffering, and then you also get quiet and go inward and and allow the suffering to like melt a little bit and and soften I think those are kind of like some of the two biggest things that yoga has brought me at least Mm -hmm. in that way yeah
1: yeah, yeah, those are good gifts yeah Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, well um, I'm sure we could talk for a long time but we have hit about the mark so if there's anything you kind of want to Say that you feel like you
1: didn't get to. Well, you know, if you're out there in Juliana Land, um, put out a plate of of whatever's easy for you to get. You know, no matter what you're doing, you know, bake some cookies or just you know you probably just could gather fruit that falls off a tree someplace, and then just put it out and go from there and then give your pitch or give your spiel, you know, or make some soup. Soup's really inexpensive. You know, you just make a big pot of it. And that opens up uh, the conversation, you know, in a little bit more agreeable way. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's my big, big piece of parting wisdom.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thank you you know
1: Um, yeah thank you thank you